and welcome to the first ever episode of Both and a real wellness podcast from the founders of Coro Real Wellness, Mr. Colin Kurtz and myself, Diana Pereira, or like I like to say it, Pereira. This episode features a wonderful conversation with Amy Ward Brimmer of Way Opens Wellness. I didn't know you said that. Per, per Pereira is the right way to say it. Yeah. But not Diana. No, Diana is simple, but people <laughs> get fuzzled with the Pereira and they go into a barara. Um, and I don't hear that. So I like to say just Pereira. Okay. How well do you say your last I'm name? I'm going to try to remember that. Uh, Kurtz. 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 It's really good said. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, so in this episode, we discuss the positive effects of MBSR or mindfulness based stress reduction. Yeah, and she's having an eight week mindfulness based stress reduction foundations course here at Coro um, every Monday from June 3rd to July 22nd, and that would be from 6:30 to 9 p.m. She was um, she's hosting a free information session this coming Saturday, May 18th from 11 to 12 p.m. So be sure to come and join us. Yeah, not a lot of notice there on the uh, 18th, but we got this out as fast as we could, everybody. Either way, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great mm, series, eight-week series. And we explain why it's eight weeks quite a bit. I think we unpack that. Um, and with that, this course during these eight weeks promises amazing results. Talk a lot about joy, right? Joy was a big piece she kept coming back to, which is so wonderful. Um, and we will let Amy, uh, furthermore, just tell you all about this. So enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> it's a very good yeah. question. It's a really important question yeah. and a good place to start. What is MBSR? Yeah, so MBSR stands for Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And um, this is a course that was has been around for about 40 years. Um, it's a stress relief course that uses mindfulness process and practice. Um, it was created by John Kabat-Zinn, who's well known, um, written many books, um, Full Catastrophe Living, um, Wherever You Go, There You Are. It's got some good titles. He, he's quite a prolific writer, and um, he began this course in the late 70s. Uh, he was inspired to see how his own, he had been a Zen and other uh, mindfulness practitioner, meditation practitioner for a while. He's, he was trained as a, uh, I wanna say neurobiology, but that might not be right, <laughs> um, but a scientist at MIT and um, really wanted to see how to bring mindfulness uh, into um, the world of healing and to help people were suffering so he hooked up with the University of Massachusetts Medical School and um, developed this eight-week course and it's you know it's changed a little bit over 40 years but it's essentially the same curriculum that John created um, so this is a you know that's impressive uh, yeah it's, it's, it is they've, they've done a really good job of refining the curriculum it's been tested actually and double blind tests to see what the results are for people mm. um the actual curriculum um compared to other sorts of what were they testing specifically um outcomes well you know it's self-defined outcomes but for the people who take the course i mean i think originally um 
I think what he did originally was he said to the medical school, send me your hopeless cases. Send me the people with chronic pain for whom nothing else is working. Nice. And um, <laughs> so originally this was a course that um, people who had cancer, people who... It reminds um, me of what David said. You know, no other pain relief would work. I mean, des- people desperate enough to try meditation is how I think of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, because really, in you know, late 70s, early 80s, uh, yoga and meditation were still seen as pretty out there things. Mm-hmm. Um, now mindfulness is a catchword, and there's a yoga studio on every corner. But at the time, these were pretty um, unusual things for people to just decide to do. So um, they had really good results. Um, people, people found it to be really helpful it, it, because it's a course that teaches you how to relate differently to the stress in your life, essentially. Um, it's not a panacea, but these are practices that, um, that put the student kind of in control of how they're experiencing the stressors of their life and you get a chance to look at what your sort of habitual patterns of thinking and reaction are um you know it's what happens in meditation when you slow down and take a look at yourself and your mind you know so um so it was really helpful for people in the beginning and i just um was reminded again that they uh, i think their first actual double blind study where they did because it was a medical school they really wanted to study this right away so after a couple years they took um psoriasis patients who were really in a lot of pain and um psoriasis patients. yeah it doesn't sound that bad but apparently it was oh no I... like you know psoriasis doesn't seem serious but i guess i guess for these people it really was and so oh, no i wouldn't think yeah i know as far as painful. the difficulty yeah. pain and um pretty sure. severe issues and it's an autoimmune disorder so they were really interested in how mindfulness affects you know how your thinking and your internal life affects your immune system um so they so they did it with and maybe they just ended up with the psoriasis patients because that was a control group that was easy to put all together in a, in a pain clinic. I don't know, it could have just been something practical like that. And the results were off the charts. Like when they got the study back, they didn't actually believe the results. <laughs> so they replicated the study a second time because wow. they thought, oh, something went wrong with the researchers. Uh-huh. And they got this, you know, similar, really high positive results for people's pain relief. And satisfaction with living with their condition as well. I don't think they were looking at like, did your psoriasis disappear? I don't think that, um, you know, when if people are ill or have these kinds of issues um, and they take MBSR, I don't think anybody's thinking that it's going to cure their um, illness or situation per se. But what it really does and what it did for me, why I ended up teaching is it really um, makes you feel like you have some tools um, to respond you know it's mm-hmm. it's that old thing of you can't control what happens to you but you can control how you respond to it mm-hmm. so that's kind of the heart of the program um, and now of course I mean it's just really grown now it's uh, MBSR is offered in prisons and schools and um, as I was saying earlier it's it has spawned a whole bunch of other types of courses. There's a mindful self-compassion 
eight-week course now. Um, some folks in Oxford, I think about 30, 25 years ago, something like that, um, started applying MBSR principles to cognitive therapy. Um, so these psychologists have created mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is sort of similar to dialectical behavioral therapy, if anybody's familiar with these psychological um, approaches. So it's really grown, and now it's just, you know, it's really for anybody, because we live in a very stressful world. So <laughs> that's a, a kind of rambling answer to what MBSR stands for. <laughs> it's a great answer. <laughs> yeah, more on that stressful world. But um, I just want to, obviously, I took the form out here, be really direct that we're primarily, obviously, it's relevant to Koru and Alexander and Feldenkrais, everything we'll be getting into in general, but... Specifically, why we're talking about this is because you are doing the eight-week course here starting in June. Yep. And we've got the free intro on May 18th, Saturday, May 18th at 1130. Um, why is it eight weeks? I'm curious. Is it worth breaking down the structure? That's a really good question. Um, I think it's, it intrigues me. And I, I just I started with a new client who literally, like I was saying to you, loves it, speaks extremely highly of it. And obviously everything that you're saying about it sounds fantastic and relevant. and Right in the same pool of everything, yeah. of everything we do, right? Yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. Right. Hence you, did you find it from Alexander? Is that um, the breadcrumbs like leading you to Not exactly. Um, when I was... And, and to Diana's probably inevitable point, yeah. we should define Alexander eventually, right? That was three questions in one. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me. So I <laughs> Thank will. Thank you. I'll come back to how what I were the how three? I discovered it. Um, but let's let's answer the why eight weeks one because that's actually a really your important eyes question. <laughs> because we have time, and mindfulness is all about one thing at a time, isn't it? At least. <sighs> Good listening. You heard all three questions in there. I, it's enthusiasm. Whoa. That's all. I love it. I'm just yeah, teasing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's I think... my role too. But yeah, I'm curious yeah. too as to know why. Well, I, my, well, we I, I talk like about that question because it's really, it, <laughs> speaking of time, I mean, um, that's actually kind of a barrier for some folks. And that's one thing that um, those of us who teach MBSR have been talking about this recently. Um, so it's really interesting to me that you asked that because. Um, talking about why it's eight weeks. Yeah, because it, in the beginning, I mean, I would say 25 years ago, that really wasn't a stop for people. But these days, People have a hard time making a commitment mm -hmm. to eight evenings, you know, over the course of like we have become oh, two and a half so hours too. like mm -hmm. instant gratification with our mindfulness. Yeah. With what am I doing next month? I don't feeling. even know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, can I commit to yeah. two and a half hour evening classes or Saturday or Sunday classes over the course of eight weeks? That is just really interesting. Yes, you can. It, yeah, of course you can. <laughs> Um, and the reason why it's important to do that is for the very reason that you one might be resistant to that idea, I would say. Uh -huh. um, you know, there's a lot of mindfulness practitioners. I'm putting, these are air quotes, because I know you can't hear me, mindfulness practitioners out quotes. there, um, who say, you know, give me 15 minutes and I can change your life, mm -hmm. you know, 15 minutes a day. Now, it's true. If you meditate for 15 minutes a day, that's awesome. And that will make a difference. In fact, you could take three mindful breaths, long, mm -hmm. slow, deep breaths in your nose and out your mouth, and you will have changed your brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. That is true. However, what we're looking at in a course like 
mindfulness-based stress relief are some pretty deeply ingrained, conditioned reaction patterns, habit patterns. And folks who take this class know, either instinctively or you know, really consciously, that what they've been doing hasn't been working for them. It either used to work, and now it's not working anymore, and it's actually become the problem, or just things just aren't working well. And so it's a two and a half hour class with a break, <laughs> um, or a couple breaks, depending on what we're doing that week. And then the practices that we learn together in the group, then people take home and practice every day in between classes. And that's really where change happens, is in the daily commitment to practice even though it can be really hard to find that time every day, half an hour to 45 minutes or so. There's something really wonderful about like trying to you know, practice every day and then you come back to class and you hear from the other people. You know, A lot of times, whatever I've been struggling with or what someone has been struggling with in their practice is very similar to what other people um, talk about too. So there's a lot of peer education that goes on in this format, which I love. Even though I'm the teacher, I'm really more of a facilitator of that process, which is really uh, a wonderful thing to get to witness and participate in. So, um, and then we also take eight weeks because we're covering more than, it's not just a course in how to meditate. Um, there's components that cover uh, mindful communication, mindful eating. We do um, what we call yoga. It's, if you're a yoga practitioner or you ha already have a yoga practice, this will seem really basic, but it's very gentle stretching. Um, so, you know, there's like a week or two in there where your daily practice is to do some yoga. Um, I also teach Qigong. So in my MBSR class, we also learn a little Qigong. Um, and that's, that's an option to practice. So it's mindful movement, mindful communication, and it's very experiential. Um, and... So, yeah, so that's why it's just, it's nice to see things develop over time and give ourselves this sort of spacious practice. You're handling this very well, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, there's some, there's some things that can only deepen with time. You can, yeah. you can talk about it, but it's as easily comes and goes. But when you have that frequency, even from a neural pathway point of view, where you're like building a network synapses that need to be reinforced and otherwise they fall apart so exactly. you want the repetition you want the deepening and and i'm sure that it's got to be amazing that peer support um, system that you guys create where where i see you change through eight weeks and that's so inspiring to me yes. so then <laughs> that that's got to reflect my own process even if i can't see it on myself or acknowledge it on myself yet to have that mirror of the others over the course of two months it's it's beautiful yeah exactly and it's um you know so that uh just community building in a sense mm -hmm. um goes on and it also yeah i really appreciate uh, pointing to the neural pathways because really it takes a little time for these systems to get ingrained so it's going to take a little time for them to get uncoupled um yeah. and i just saw a really funny meme the other day <laughs> where um something along the lines of, you know, the heart says life 
is meant to be lived with vulnerability and openness and the brain says you're gonna get us killed <laughs> um, so <laughs> you know the mind um and some of some of our you know and we talk about this in class too that there are you know negativity bias and certain things are built into us um for survival and whether they're needed anymore or not um a lot of times the kinds of thinking that are that's established and the kind of reactivity patterns that we have um, are trying to protect us yeah. when we don't need to be protected. Exactly. And so um, it takes some time to see that. Yeah. And how long <laughs> did you take building those? And can we unlearn mm. that in a, in a one hour sitting? No, obviously not. So we'll need to well, work not permanently on it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. And then of course, you know what, what I've really seen more and more um, is how our culture really reinforces those patterns. Yeah. So there's a lot out there, you know, in terms of advertising and even the entertainments we choose and, um, you know, just there's just a lot going on out there um, trying to tell us. Yeah, when you um, talked about a high-stressed world, mm. I thought, yeah, we've replaced the stress of being chased by animals and other predators to with other stressors yeah. of our very own that, that keeps sustaining that survival mode and, and that fight-or-flight state where it's not real that we need to react to it as fast and with the same response as we had to a huge dinosaur or whatever we create that magnitude in our own heads that's right i mean and it really depends on where what population you're talking about and what living situations you're talking about there's definitely like in underserved populations there's definitely constant trauma and stress going on and you know I, I don't want to minimize that and I think we're all living with the uh, reality of global climate change which is very stressful and there's a lot of things out of balance in our culture and so those stressors are real but what you're pointing to is really even even those of us with privilege and you know don't really have to worry about whether we're going to eat tonight or not mm -hmm. um, you know within that day-to-day -day, how we do business how we make it through the day. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of unrecognized stressors. Yeah. Um, well, I hardly see anybody yeah. eating just eating anymore. Whenever I go That's out, right. mm. people alone or in company are not eating anymore. <laughs> They're feeding media into their bodies as they shove some food as fast as they can so they have their free hand to keep swiping or something. I yep. don't get it. Yes. I mean, no... It's hard not to come across as judgmental because it is a judgment. It's a judgment saying, hello, wake up, eat, eat and breathe at the same time and do just that for 10 minutes. And it might change the digestion and energy level and how pleasurable that bite is and so many other things. Yeah, you, then you can taste your food. Right. Like, I don't know how many times, <laughs> you know, have we looked down at the plate and the food is gone and yeah. do you even remember eating it? You know? Yeah, so we have food. Yeah. We're lucky we don't have to worry about it. And we're not present to that. 10 minutes that's a great example and that that is the kind of stuff that we're um that we're taking a look at in this in this course and right. uh, in fact tonight's assignment after tonight's class the assignment that they're going to have to do this coming week is eat at least one mindful meal mm. without doing what you just described <laughs> <laughs> so i <clears throat> i'm gonna clear my throat i love the way you talk about this amy it's really really sweet There's, i want to take this course Oh, I hope you will. That would be awesome. <laughs> There's such a sweetness to the way you talk about this. Even these extraordinarily 
big things and yes Mm. there's trauma there's there's so much to add and what you just said about eating um and mindfulness in general how we can it sounds like you fundamentally if i may want to inspire this ability if we can say that the mindfulness the effect of it is the allowing of yourself we want to inspire that non-judgmental um awareness for yourself and for others that's one key piece i'm hearing because you're acknowledging that that doesn't have to be so normal or so it doesn't necessarily have to be part of our experience at all that judgment to the extent that it obviously is um even... Yeah, in an ideal world, <laughs> those judgmental thoughts might not appear as frequently. I think for me, uh, in, in my own practice, um, what I've come to understand is, um, you know, these thoughts are going to arise. It's believing them that's a problem. So mm. occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, dozens of times a day, I will recognize judgmental thoughts arising. And... Um, what this course and and of course from MBSR it's there's more to my own story about mindfulness is that it kind of led me to um, get very deep into um, now um, vipassana meditation and um, learning more about Buddhism. Although the the practices in MBSR are rooted in Buddhism, it is a secular or it's a non sectarian uh, course. So any uh-huh. you don't have to. You don't have to believe anything about anything to take it. Zen isn't necessarily Except your ability zen. to change. <laughs> right. Um, well, and is that what work means? Like we talk about this working and the effects of mindfulness. Is it, um, is it fair to say that if it's working, you can be, or we have ease here, more ease, joy, and power, which are amazing yeah, points. They are. That's <laughs> some pretty big promises there, huh? Yeah. Um, and they're legitimate. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you're, we're basically based on unpacking. my experience, both as a person who's practiced this and watching people change. Because mm-hmm. um, what you said about yeah. underprivileged is, rel- I, I literally am thinking about a conversation this morning with one of our dear friends, and it'd be so fun to unpack, and, and it's so relevant, but he's not underprivileged. And we're talking about the same things because the excess, you said imbalance, which is a, such a kick-ass relevant word here, the excess in his world and all, and probably all of ours is the um, isolation and the individualism. Yeah. And we're not underprivileged, but we do have that imbalance, I'd say, in that respect. And it probably has to do with why it's eight weeks as well. You know, you wrote down peer support. We're talking about how he, there's a community element. You realize that you're not alone. I mean, so much of that is we can't understate how important it is to connect with others and to see that we're in this together. And I, I would say yes. that's the key excess in our society here. Thank God we're not dealing with that excessive underprivileged component, but it's still an imbalance, right, that disempowers on some level? Oh, yeah, the disconnect is incredibly real, and it's actually part of the whole same problem. <laughs> um, you know, that. so it's, it, um, yeah, I don't see that as really separate. But, yeah, right. for, once your basic needs have been met, if you're participating in, our culture right now, yeah, the isolationism, I mean, um, and the fear of connecting has grown mm-hmm. and all these, this huge uptick in anxiety disorders and I feel like that's all really connected. Yeah. And I think that um, 
So yes. what works, I mean, the joy and the ease is really more like um, what Diana was just kind of alluding to, which is, you know, when you slow down, you know, you realize, oh, I'm not being chased by a tiger. You know, when you slow down and just breathe or mm. um, open the ear door and hear the sounds that are around you, um, can just feel how it is to be in a body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, yeah, sometimes what you come home to, it's kind of a mess in there, but it's also not, you know, <laughs> it's not a threat. But temporarily. It's the, a mess you can clean up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so, you know, the threat is all just a, a paper tiger, really. It's all just mm-hmm. these thoughts that, like I said, we start to believe them and then act from that place. And so these practices, <clears throat> in my experience anyway, you know, give give one the space and the time even if the time is only a few breaths mm-hmm. to just say, oh, okay, right. there's that thought again. You yeah. know, like um, right before we started this interview, there I had a bunch of thoughts I was aware of in my head about, you know, how stupid I was going to sound. You know, that's just old thinking. That's just... I oh, love that authenticity. That's a thought. That's yeah, that sweetness. There it is. <laughs> you know, that's just, oh, there it is. Yeah, there's those thoughts again. But I've really learned that that's, I'm not those thoughts. That's not who I am. Not at all. And it's just, you know, it's like a little itch or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's itch. It's not a big deal. I don't, you know. So the, the, the breath <laughs> right. comes back as this magnificent and yet so simple built-in tool that we all have. And I love when I picked up your card that is right there on the back of the card. Mm-hmm. I want to read the quote. As long as you are breathing, there is more right with you than wrong with you no matter what challenge you what challenges you might be facing right and it's always yeah. with us and it's and it's the noise that you're bringing up in this thinking mind if you were not saying that i would have never thought you sound any silly or stupid no, or anything brilliant. that you said at all <laughs> so that's that's completely fic- fiction it's not real right but it is there and it's louder than the breath and the moment you tune into the breath the noise ratio signal changes and you realize, oh, I have this magnificent tool built in and now I can hear other things too. Right. And there's yes. way more right than you with you than wrong, right? Yeah, that's, there. that's it's the, beautiful. the famous John Cabot quote it. about MBSR. You know, love as it. long as you're breathing, there's more right with you than wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter what you're facing. Um, and that, that really is the heart of it. And I think that's, you know, why as an Alexander Technique teacher and probably why as a Feldenkrais te- uh, practitioner this sounds good to you because that's kind of the heart of our practice too, which oh, is yeah. that there is intrinsic wellness and wholeness and essential okayness in every single person. Mm-hmm. Even the person that you dislike the strongest or the person who's the sickest. Um, mm. Still, what we're, what we're trying to access is um, that innate wellness that's already there. And that inner wisdom that everybody already has, we just have been sort of educated out of recognizing it, really. Well, and to such an amazing extent, which relates to this conversation from this morning, I just don't want to use his name, even though he probably wouldn't mind. And it points to the extent to which the belief that we might not be able to be at ease and experience joy and real, this kind of power that we're speaking to, there's a story built that, catalyzes that belief and Mm. it's potentially a story about 
life on earth. We were specifically talking about, it was near the end of our session, and as, again, somatic you know, teachers, if you will, we'll just simplify it like that. Yep, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about the eyes, and he was eventually asking, and it's not the first time, and it's wonderful to be able to continue to hone in on the, um, uh, the succinct messaging for why this matters. Why do I have to pay attention to my eyes? Okay, let's explore that. So we literally go and look at the optic nerves and the relationship to their, uh, obviously, the soft tissues around them and how the eye is going to trigger movement of the head, and we all know this. And what it led to us talking about was how a zebra, <clears throat> sorry, his belief is that a zebra in the wild, so to speak, can never be at rest completely, which, so what that really means is he actually believes as a human, because we're, we're speaking of this metaphor of, or just a general idea of animals on earth, we can never really fully be at rest. We have to always be a little on guard. That's such a, that's a story. That's an incredibly important story about wow. life on earth. Mm. And I would imagine that most people have that story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they do. I, I think some people very specifically Fortunately, have been we did. told that. You know? Well, I think it's exactly what we're told about human nature and, and life on earth as a, you know, the bullshit we're fed about evolution on some level because we're all creationists here. The, um, <laughs> I'm laughing. Yeah. No, the the bullshit about. I mean, even um. Well, just the phrase "survival of the, the fittest, fittest," which wasn't okay. literally meant to imply what Taken we take so it. So out of context. Exactly, uh, but to a, such a detrimental extent. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, on, very yeah. much so. Um, yeah, and so, and that's the that's uh, what mindfulness practice does, among uh, you know, many other things, is you start to see the story. Yeah. You know, um, and y- you know. This is the these are the Buddhist roots of MBSR, which is that um, you know the human dilemma, which is that we want more of the good stuff, what we perceive as good stuff, what mm-hmm. we desire. We get something good, we want more of it, so we grasp and get greedy and try to hold on to that beautiful sunset, mm-hmm. um, and we want to um, get rid of the stuff that we don't like, the painful, um, unpleasant stuff. So we numb ourselves or push away or, um, you know, whatever, run, try to run away. Um, and so we're constantly back and forth, back and forth between these two extremes of like trying to hold on to the good stuff and push away the bad stuff. And all of that is really just how things are perceived Mm -hmm. for one thing. And the truth is that, you know, everything changes, is always constantly changing. And that's actually good news, but it doesn't always seem that way. Um, (laughs) And so it's this, you know, one of my favorite mindfulness teachers, uh, Sylvia Borstein, you know, talks about wanting to practice meditation because she's tired of being pushed around by her mind, you know, in this way of, you know, feeling constant dissatisfaction. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the ease that comes from these practices and the joy that we can rediscover is that, you know, yeah, I'm really enjoying this bowl of ice cream. It's really tasty. And, you know, that's the nutritional when advice. It's over. Right? Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it says okay, here dairy free if you need. <laughs> this note, all you eat is oh wow cow from now on. Yeah, is that right? <laughs> that's all I eat. <laughs> Time for our sponsor, oh wow cow. <laughs> that's all you eat. It was really good, and, and I it, made sure to really be tasting it, it the, you know. But, um, but just knowing that she yeah, wasn't on her phone. Good. I was not on my phone. Um, 
You can not be on your phone song. or no I might have been watching TV, though, now that I think about it. But you probably but enjoyed both. and that's... I did. Um, but, I mean, so the idea is really to not be just running one direction or the other, to just be, you know, learning to be kind of right in the middle of it all. Um, it's a lifetime process, but MBSR is a really, really good introduction to figuring out how we get caught in that story. In that, well, that's, you know. that's exactly what happens, at least to me, in my meditation practice. I, I actually find sure. more moments of, um, I, I am interested in, in learning more about Zen, and I have moments of what I call Zen driving, or Zen action, at home, walking, teaching, working, driving the car, way easier. It's a glimpse, but it's way easier than sitting in meditation. It's almost as if uh -huh. I sit in meditation and bam, the lights go up and all the crap on my brain starts shaking because I'm still, I'm super still. And it's easier in walking, it's easier in working, it's, you know, because I'm yeah. taking mindful action. But in that stillness of the sitting, wow, all the thinking is really, really evident. Well, yeah, but it's you quite know, a parade, isn't you it? You know the it sitting. Is. <laughs> I think Yuval Noah Harari talks about we don't meditate to feel that middle ground. We do it so that we can continue to be better at it in general. Mm -hmm. Like med the context of meditation is probably often not enjoyable. <laughs> right. And it's probably it's, sitting with the uncomfortable sensation of yeah. seeing your mind play in front of you and choosing not. I'm not going to hold on to that. Right. I'm not going to touch to so that either. I'm going to see that walk. Pa pass my my mind and I'm not gonna try to deconstruct that thought and plan ahead and get into that like clouds right you don't yes. hold on to the clouds you just see them well, they won't disappear a lot of people think that once you right. practice meditation your mind is gonna stop thinking yes right. that's that's a common misconception it usually comes up in the first week of class or second week when people are you know reporting how their practice is going it's like well I can't stop my I don't know I'm not doing very well okay yeah. what do you mean you're not doing well and it all almost always is I can't stop my mind from thinking well and my answer is to. that's right <laughs> you can't please stop trying to do that you're just going to be frustrated so actually it's really interesting to hear you talk about what you're describing as informal practice or formal practice uh -huh. that's kind of our framework and okay. so we we kind of talk about both we're looking at both in this class um, so every week there's a formal practice that we do on a daily basis, but there's usually a short, you know, like I mentioned, you know, eat one mindful meal, you know, so that's informal practice. Be aware while you're eating mm. one meal this week. Um, and there's usually something like that. Take a mindful shower, try to, you know, or pay attention as you walk. We learn a little, we learn some walking meditation, but then we talk about the difference between, taking, you know, walking mindfully mm -hmm. and walking meditation, which is totally different. Mm -hmm. I mean, not totally different, but just intention is different. Um, and it's kind of interesting, though. I'm about to leave. I'm leaving on Sunday for a week-long um, silent meditation retreat at this place that I've been going to for several years. I do this two, three times a year. And it's true that, you know, so this is like seven, eight, nine days of completely, like all you do is sit alternate sitting and walking meditation have your meals maybe there's a little bit of working practice we do a little housekeeping to help the place keep running um, and then there might be a talk in the evening about various aspects of the dharma and stuff but it's mostly just 
seamless practice and I really love it because I've gotten to a point now where yeah I mean the first couple days are as you describe it's like you sit still and then boom it's just like amplified like that and it's just a crazy funhouse carnival in there <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but after a while you kind of settle right yeah and the other thing that happens is that um, then then one gets to really access this other deep um, thing that we all possess, which is this kind of inner wisdom. Then awareness mm -hmm. starts to show me um, all kinds of useful, not just the habits I want to unhook from and the, mm. you know, um, my own neurotic, whatever, but um, like my true nature as a human. Yeah. which is not survival of the fittest in that way, yeah. but more like, wow, I'm connected to every living thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> and then what do you do about that? Like, how does that, how does that change the way I interact when I return from retreat, you know, yeah. to really have the experience, not just the concept mm -hmm. that everything's interconnected, but the actual experience. Feeling it. I um, came out of one of yeah. those myself where I was like, I know I'm made out of stars. Yes. I know it. I just know it. It's nothing I didn't energy. read it. I didn't have to believe it. I just know it in my body right this moment. And it feels mm -hmm. amazing. And what do I do when I go back home and I feel separate? Because I want to bring that feeling back home. I don't want to leave it at the retreat or only found it. Remember when I was driving back from the airport mm -hmm. and you said, you sounded... I was in a retreat with my teacher too. And, and, and you said, you sounded... You sound like you've been on a, on a silent retreat for about three or four days. Because <laughs> oh, I had right. just so much gratitude and so much patience for the couch that wasn't delivered on time and everything we needed to get ready for the open house and how things were not lining up. And I was like, it's all perfect. It's all, all going to happen at the right time. And I had that equanimity about life. Yes. Yeah. And I felt it. It was not a, a slogan. So how do we hold on to that? Uh, keep practicing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to add a little bit, and it's you know, it's my own little selfish obsession about the possibilities, and you mentioned ideals. We're not going to go into it too far because we want to get into more of your history, and I want to specifically know about your, your journey eventually here. But <laughs> the key thing that I want to highlight is what you said a moment ago before, and I remember that conversation, by the way. It was I remember it very well. Um, that we, we need to be careful not to get into the, uh, the thinking that this, there's some kind of static place where we arrive. We talk about this all the mm. time as a, mm. a, a trick in our, we play on ourselves. We think, yes. now I'm done. You're never done. Um, as the youngest, uh, on the mics here right now, I'm assuming you can attest to that and you're with a little more life experience. You're never done. Yeah. I've never met anybody who's done. And we think we're going to get to that place, whether we know it on purpose, whether we know we think that or not. It's driving so much, and it's so dangerous. Um, but that's absolutely not even close to the point at all, right? It's not mm -hmm. about arriving at a static state. It's about being able to consistently know how to come back to that observing yeah, place, that's right? resilience, right? That's yes. what that's one definition of resilience is the ability to return. So my yeah. idealism, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which I'll own as that, and I, mm. I will, uh, 
and that's where Seth and I, I think, overlap somewhat, and probably all of us. And it, it it's the it's the truest part of my like my heart, if you will, is like how can we? I'm not saying we're going to answer this, but it's the question that I always want to look at with whomever. Is how can we catalyze a, a broad enough shift culturally such that it is easier for us to remember that, as opposed to it being hard? Like we talk about, come back from the tree, and fuck, it's hard again. Yeah. And I think we have a lot of reasons why it's hard. How can we make it easier? And I have a lot of ideas and suspicions, and I know that it's one person at a time, and it's, and it's related to community, but this is obviously a key tool for that, too, that possibility. It really has been over the years, you know, this course that's, like, helped so many tens of thousands of people. You know, and I, I, that is a huge question. It's a driving question of my life and yours and Seth's and lots of really mm -hmm. good people. And, um, and that's why that, that seeming tension between the inner and the outer is actually maybe not even a frame worth considering because, um, yeah, it's one person at a time and we're each responsible for ourselves. And yes, we want to build community, but it's really my hope anyway. And my belief, um, my, you know, that this work is part of that shift. And, mm. and in fact, we are actually creating a world that makes it easier to remember that and to live more in this way. Um, I, I mean, I'm not going to live to see a that, that radical of a shift. I think it's going to take a while, just like within each of us. It takes a while to decondition. Mm. Um, but I actually think that courses like this and the work that you're doing and Seth and all these I have other a lot people, of hope in our children, by the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have six, eight, and nine-year-olds, so... My kids, no too. Pressure my, they're in their 20s now, my two children, and they're, uh, you know, they're doing some pretty interesting, like, they're doing interesting work, and they have their, they're around the same age as Seth, I guess, a little younger, and um, it's not only what they're doing, but it's like how they're making decisions about what they want to mm -hmm. do, like the values and the perspectives that they have, some of it is how they were raised, um, but a lot of it is their generation. Yep. And you can I give yourself say a your credit. Yeah, I'll give myself a little credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. But each new generation comes but, with a higher awareness of the, we need to get this done now. Let's work on it. Yeah, I mean, um, in the sense of that, that kind of urgency, I think, could be a healthy urgency. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, it right. also points to that thing of, you know, the reason that it seems easier to be mindful when you're walking or driving or mm. mopping your floor is because we like to do things. We're very do, doing-oriented, and non-doing is tough. Yeah. It's, it's a real radical shift. And so um, to be doing an activity, now I'm jumping ahead to the Alexander technique, Jump. But, to be, but to be doing a, you know, an activity in a non-doing way um, is pretty subtle and takes a, a, you know, a real shift in thinking. If people don't know what MBSR is at this point, they're not going to. It's okay. Let's go. Let's jump. <laughs> yeah, we, can, we can jump. Yeah. <laughs> So take MBSR at Koru. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, go now, yeah. Alexander. Unpack the... When did oh, that start It's even you? harder to talk about. <laughs> well, the yeah. I, I started taking Alexander Technique. Well, here, I'll say what it is first for people who don't know. Um, very briefly, the Alexander Technique is a way... Uh, not unlike MBSR, to examine um, habitual patterns of movement or ways that we use our body um, 
So that's why a lot of people who have heard of it think it's a posture method because mm. when you take Alexander lessons, your posture tends to improve um, if, if you don't have good posture to begin with. Um, but posture is really the least of it. It's really about um, balance and ease and uh, coordination. And that's all really dependent on how we are with ourselves as we're doing any activity. So if you look at young children, you have you have a two-year-old? Six and, and oh, nine. Six and, oh, okay. Um, because really Eight. young children. Mm. Yeah, I mean, by now they're starting to show some, um, some habits probably. Oh, yeah. But when they were two or three years old or even four, um, just for the sake of convenience, before they started going to school every day, we could say, um, if you watch them move... Um, they might have had some individual ways of expressing because they're individual people, but most young children are balanced and at ease. I mean, unless there's a pathological or some kind of like environmental problem, um, they move freely, easily. They bounce back easily. They fall down. They get up. Um, they reach for things without a lot of mis maladapted coordination. So like mindfulness this is built into us this inherent um, ability to be in our bodies in a poised easy um, balanced kind of way but over time um, we get used to doing things in certain ways um, through just unconscious habit through illness accident um, all sorts of things come into play as we grow in our bodies um, and then psychologically, things were told about our bodies. Things were told about how we look, either directly, personally, or by the culture at large. Um, we tend to internalize these things and then what you're good at and not, way. what you can or can't right. do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, so many people I hear they said, "Oh, my father told me I have flat feet." And I'm looking at those feet, and they're not flat. <laughs> they have arches. Yep. And I put a board against the foot, and it's a perfect arch. Yep. And this woman is convinced I have flat feet. <laughs> well, so, yeah. And so um, this is the kind of thing that the Alexander Technique addresses. And it's called Alexander because it was created by F. Matthias Alexander, or FM, which is how he, was prefer he preferred to be called. He was an Australian actor in the late 19th century who had a lot of vocal problems. He kept losing his voice and... Um, he'd go to doctors. This will be familiar to a lot of people. He would go to doctors and they either couldn't help him or they would give him some treatment that would work for a little while but then not last. Mm. And after a couple of years of frustrating experience with this, he logically reasoned, well, it, it really only happens when I perform. So it must be something I'm doing on stage. And he had been raised in Tasmania, sort of homeschooled by his mother. So he was this... He was of a personality to just investigate and research and try to figure things out on his own. So he started observing himself in three-way mirrors to see what he could see. And very long story short, he, he discovered that the relationship between the head, neck, and back is kind of primary um, in terms of all human psychophysical functioning. And uh, that that really had a real close uh, relationship to respiration, how we breathe as well. And so he actually cured himself of his vocal problems by, um, well, first of all, he, he noticed what he was doing that was interfering with his ability to produce sound. 
And so his first response, logically enough, was, oh, I just won't do that. I'll stop doing that. But what he found was it's really hard <laughs> to stop <laughs> doing these ingrained habits. We don't really know what we're doing a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So... Um, so he came up with a method of really um, responding differently to a stimulus. So he would have this stimulus to speak, and then he would pause and kind of redirect his attention, his thinking, in a particular way that um, then made it possible to speak clearly or do something else. If he decided, I'm not going to speak the speech, I'll walk across the room instead. Um, really trusting his own intrinsic system to do what it needed to do sort of the the right thing does itself um, so much less work much less effort um, it's it's really amazing to me how much overlap there is human psychophysical functioning whether you're talking about Fel you know what what feldenkrais discovered and taught what alexander discovered what the buddhists are talking about mm -hmm. what john kabat-zinn did yeah. uh bonnie bainbridge cohen all these people yeah. you know um, functioning is functioning. And yeah. so <laughs> you can only narrow it down so much, right? Yeah. I mean, now the, the point of intersection, you know, kind of varies depending on what somebody needs and who's doing the teaching. But, um, so anyway, um, so he started teaching this to other people and eventually moved to London and had a practice there. And I would say somewhere around the thirties started teaching other people, um, to be Alexander teachers and it's kind of grown from there. And so I had heard about this. I, my background is in theater and psychology. Those are the majors that I took in, in college. And um, in fact, in my acting training program, my acting teacher had studied a little Feldenkrais. So um, our movement classes were all like awareness through movement adapted for actors. Mm. So that's, that's um, I'd heard of Feldenkrais before I heard of Alexander, but I had also heard about Alexander. And fast forward about, I don't know, four or five years, I had moved to New York, went to grad school in theater, finished my master's. And during that time started um, Jungian psychotherapy, which I really loved. Jung was kind of onto this too, actually, yeah, now that yeah, I think of it, definitely. he kind of got the whole holistic mm -hmm. um and so i was like into joseph campbell and carl jung mm -hmm. and um in therapy and was taking yoga classes and just kind of had this weird feeling like i i'm kind of out of touch with my body this vague notion that maybe i didn't know my body as well as i should or wanted to um so a friend had been taking alexander lessons and was raving about this particular teacher and said you really got to go take some lessons and so i was just ready to do it and um after my first lesson, I just walked out and went, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. Um, and my sense that I was disconnected from my body was sort of the understatement of my life, I would say. Um, and there were a lot of good reasons for that. My childhood was um, what what pretty dysfunctional. Uh, sorry? What, what point in life were you? I was 30. I had just turned 30. Um, and was living in New York and working as a editor, writer, um, sitting at a desk a lot, um, writing about theater a lot. So I was either sitting at a desk during the day editing or sitting in theater seats at night. So pretty sedentary, <laughs> um, pretty intellectual, lots of, you know, lots of neck up activity. Mm -hmm. 
but pretty disconnected from my sensual life. Happ- had just gotten married, happily married. Sensual life. Yeah. I love that. Life yeah. of the yeah. senses. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I've the never heard anybody senses. phrase it that way. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think, I think, I'm sure if you had asked me, I would be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's very important. But I'm not sure that I was really living. I mean, I was not really living in that way. Um, what came up for me, and this is not necessarily typical of Alexander Lessons, but um, I happen to have a great teacher whose name is Alan Katz. Um, and he... What came up for me in lessons was a lot of past trauma that had been buried mm-hmm. on a kind of cellular level. Some I remembered, some I did not remember. So I started having some memories of abuse from very, very early age. And um, so the body work is really essential for me um, in my healing, in my recovering my own life back. Um, and so... Uh, now Alexander technique is not, um, it's not a therapy and I definitely, you know, as these memories came up, I, you know, was working with my psychotherapist and, you know, I was, I was receiving that kind of support too for my trauma. Um, but the work for me personally was really helpful. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that I would have been able to be willing to look at it or be with it, any of those memories, without this the support of my teacher. And um, because there's this very gentle, special kind of touch that's used. So um, the experience of being touched in that respectful way that doesn't ask for anything in return. Um, was it was such a shock to me mm. that uh, I'm just laughing. I'm laughing in retrospect 30 years later. But uh, um, yeah, it just it made it possible for you know for me to face things that I was not willing to face. And and that's the the beautiful thing was that you know that's why I was so disconnected from my body because I had so much fear and uh, shame and you know difficulty. Um, but I also was missing out on all the good stuff. For me, it kind of helped me recover my, um, you know, my psyche and my soul to a certain degree. Like the whole part of me that I was kind of just pushing aside. And, you know, I think I was probably operating on about maybe 60% of my life energy. So, you know, I kind of got my whole life back. And so, you know, I really loved the Alexander technique and decided to become a teacher. At that point, I was kind of like, I went through a lot. I did a lot of stuff to deal with some of my trauma recovery. Um, you know, a lot of standard things that are standard now. Um, so it wasn't just Alexander lessons. Um, and as I became, um, healthier and, um, went into recovery, better recovery, um, I thought seriously about going back to school, getting another master's degree and being a psychotherapist. And then I just thought, you know, I don't think I want to sit all day. I think I like moving. Huh. <laughs> um, so I decided to train and, um, and my teacher, Alan, then at that same time was starting a, a training program. So I wasn't in his first group, but um, was in one of the groups that he taught over the years. And then after that, went and trained with some other Alexander teachers in New York as well. Um, 
And so my approach to this work has always been um, very much about um, energy and um, the sort of authentic mindful. I mean, I don't think I use the word mindful. I don't think mindfulness was like a phrase even 25 years ago that was in any of these training programs. It is now. Um, but I think that that whole approach to teaching Alexander um, has kind of really framed my work. Um, you know, that said, if somebody comes to me and, you know, wants to improve their golf game, I will help them do that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, you know, oh, I, you know, I have text neck or, you know, my back hurts from sitting at my computer all day. That's an excellent reason to take lessons, to figure out, well, what is it you're doing when you're sitting at the computer? And why is it certain assignments seem to add tension mm. and others don't? You know, so there's lots of, there's lots of ways to apply Alexander Technique in terms of mindful movement. But um, for me personally, it, it's been a real help in, um, you know, in trauma recovery too. So... That's kind of my, that's my story with Alexander Technique. <laughs> and that's why all, all this is all kind of overlapped. Because um, you asked if, if I came to MBSR through Alexander Technique, and not specifically, but when I was living in New York, um, taking Alexander lessons and um, facing my past and dealing with all the icky stuff I didn't want to deal with. Um, I did a lot of workshops at the New York Open Center and a lot of places like that where John Kabat-Zinn and lots of people like him, you know, were constantly coming through giving workshops, um, Stephen Levine and, um, oh, who's the emotional intelligence guy, Daniel and Tara Goldman oh, yeah. used to come through all the time. And so I encountered a lot of those people as kind of part of my whole holistic relearning on learning. Um, but I didn't, I didn't take MBSR until, well, I did one weekend workshop on it with John in like the early nineties, but I didn't do the eight week course really until 2010 at, uh, Jefferson downtown Philly. Um, really good course, really good teachers. They have, they have excellent program there. And then I just kept taking classes <laughs> until they, until I took all the classes that they could offer. Um, so soon there'll be the Institute here in at Redeemer. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that's the dream. I like soul. I like that you brought up soul. I'm a fan of soul. It's, soul makes me think of what you said with regard to how like, so our children and you, you hinted at something pre and post school, pre and post desk sitting. You acknowledged yeah. you're sitting at a desk. Yeah. We know it's not about posture. Like, I'm leaning on my elbows right now, but mm -hmm. that's okay. It is um, okay. It's perfectly Exactly. Well, right. Sure, sure. No, I, yeah. Especially if it's a choice you made. Well, exactly <laughs> because it's a choice. Um, but I suspect that word soul relates to that. There's some relationship between soul and that pre... Well, you also said it essentially of just being excessively thought based and how mm. you were realizing while at the in the office at the age of 30 or ish you started to realize there was this uh heady drive everything was driven from your thinking and even though you may say i'm paying attention to my body or however you worded it um 
it sounds like in retrospect you're pointing to this thinking as the drive for everything and yeah. it sounds like if i could take a leap you're suggesting that and if not i am that uh <laughs> the the school effect even though we need it somehow but it can obviously be better the school effect and then the adulterations and the office and all of the things that we just accept as commonplace bring you into that excessive head drive and you're completely disconnected from the rest from your whole self and there's that inherent experience of being dismembered and it sounds like what you're realizing is there was a sense of that dismembership that disconnection and soul gets back to that remembership and reconnection that maybe you're speculating yeah. was pre huh. preschool if you will or pre pre excessive uh guy being excessively guided to just pay attention to your thinking like yeah. dana mentioned it about uh what was the what was the one you said about no it, it'll come back to me but go on well so hmm it's always interesting it's always so interesting to get reflected back <laughs> so yeah i mean i think soul i mean there's not really Hmm. Yeah, soul and spirit, really. I, I, I think I think there's something essential about each person that does that doesn't get rewarded. Um, we're we're really really good at um, this kind of uh, of creating behavior based on reward or punishment. You know, mm -hmm. that's not to tell become like too too much like Skinner but um, it's true or Pavlov um, you know we're, we're rewarded in school for certain things and um, not knowing and wondering aloud and expressing oneself with movement those are not things that get rewarded in school um, Oh, that's Those are things feet. that get the flat feet part. That you get it. told, yeah, yeah, that oh well, okay. So there's oh there's that too. There's this perception that's kind of a that's a little different than what I'm trying. I'm sort of thinking. I'm thinking out loud here, totally. Um, that I you know I think there's certain types of education like Waldorf schools and I think Quaker education to some degree, French schools to some degree try to come at learning from a, a more whole person perspective, but by and large, um, you know, being told something and then um, telling it back to the teacher properly is really the education system we have. Like, you get rewarded for having the right answer. Um, you know, and I'm, this is, I'm really oversimplifying here, but I think that, um, just just the way schools are set up they're set up like factories that was intentional it's pretty old it's like a hundred plus years old this sort of system with grades and the kids at either tables or chairs and desks in rows and um you know i think that whole system is um a reflection of doing and producing and being a good producer and I think that's really kind of soul killing um, <laughs> because it's just not okay in our culture to do nothing. Hmm. I mean, obviously, 
we have desires and goals and we're talking about, ooh, let's hope there's an institute and mindfulness at Holy Redeemer in a few years. And, you know, we have things we want to do. We want Koru to thrive and, you know, we're all doing stuff. Um, but I think, I think where we get confused is that then we identify with that doing and we're only as good as our latest production. Our, we value, we overvalue it. And so, um, I don't know if yeah. that answers that was your question <laughs> or not. But, um, and so I got pretty confused along that way. And, and my, also my disconnect with my body was a survival thing. So there was that because I'm a total product of that culture. Absolutely. Right. But also my disconnect, my personal story of being disconnected is like a lot of, um, uh, trauma survivors, um, where, you know, where the experience was an embodied experience of trauma. Well, I guess there is no other kind, but, um, so that was a survival technique that served mm -hmm. me very well. Yeah. That's what I heard the Until loudest. it stopped serving me yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. What I can reflect back to you from what, what you just shared, which by the way, I want to say thank you so much because when, whenever one shares our story, there's so much vulnerability and openness and you choose what to share. And, and I feel like you're sharing with such kindness and, Oh, and truth you. and just you know it's not easy to say oh i was going through this trauma and that came up for me and that, that's true you it, know what it, I mean? it is uncomfortable to talk about it publicly I and yet it. so many people yeah. i mean i'm so oh, grateful yeah. for the me too movement and everything i mean i'm so not alone in this yeah, so yeah and that's yeah. what i wanted to speak to you because what i heard the loudest was that that fear of connecting were that you were talking about at the very beginning yeah was what came up emerged on that on, on that session in in your that nurturing touch that was non-demanding and that was not abusive and that was respectful and giving and opening that possibility of connecting you to self allowed you to heal from the inside out you, your connection to yourself first and and then the ability to take that tool to others and share with others and say i've this is it. This is reconnecting. Probably you couldn't make that process logical at that time, but it, I heard that it, that it unfolded later as a way to continue to heal self and others. And, and it's really, for me, in my visual of it, it's like a fabric that was ripped and somehow it's coming back together. Oh, beautiful. There's a, is that what, I forget what it's called, but that's that Japanese art of repairing broken ceramics with yeah, gold. It's beautiful. It and you you embrace the crack. Yeah. yeah. And you make something more beautiful. Do you yeah. know the name? I don't remember the name. Yeah. Either. It's a great metaphor. We all we all carry yeah. those. And and the fact that we deny or, or, or try to not look at that won't help it. So so these are the skills that we grow connecting and reconnecting and, and sharing our wounds and say, Hey, this we're not alone. But that, to that connecting is that I wanted to speak to because the fear of connecting sometimes stops us from, from starting the healing process and contain, uh, maintain it, which is a daily process. It never oh, ends. Moment to moment, right? Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's true. I remember walking out of that first lesson and like I said, I was like, okay, this is, I I'm definitely, this is what I've been looking for. Um, but I also just had this real feeling of dread too, like, mm -hmm. oh shit. Yep. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> now what? <laughs> I think I found my modality. Uh oh. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> so yeah, because there is that that fear of of being seen, of being vulnerable. Um, and uh, but I think that you know, 
I think that people have a real strong desire to live authentically and um, that, you know, a lot of the disconnect, I mean, a lot of the people that I work with, and I'm sure this is true for you as well, um, I, they're so brave, you know, they're so willing to do what's uncomfortable yeah. and unknown um, just because they know the thing that's known, you know, is, um, is really not satisfying mm -hmm. and it's not real. There's a, there's a, a lot, I talk to a lot of people who, who after kind of practicing mindfulness or finding, you know, an easier way to move through their day by taking Alexander lessons and, and reconnecting to their body, befriending their body again, yeah. you know, um, they would much rather be an authentic mess than <laughs> a fake, mm -hmm. you know, I have it all together. Cause we know when we're being lied to and we know when we're lying to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that going around these days. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I think that these are all, um, these are all ways to kind of come home to ourselves and, um, but it takes, it takes a certain level of courage, mm -hmm. a certain level of, you know, mm. um, yeah. And it takes something yeah. else I saw in your card, which is, um, discipline and, and refinement of the skill. So you come back to this commitment and probably because you can see a little progress. So when you're like that mess that looks well put together but you get home to it and no matter what you eat or drink you wake up to it again the next day so you mm -hmm. can see no progress there you can if you're true to yourself you can look at that mirror and say dude this is not really helping me get out of here if you're in a deep state of sad sadness or anxiety or whatever it is and with this um, skills that we can refine through practice and discipline right? and maybe we have to redefine discipline because it's not mm -hmm. a disciplinarian discipline it's more of a commitment type of discipline you see little progress you see little improvement huh? and and that's inspiring mm -hmm. that feeds you to continue befriending yourself and no matter what comes mm -hmm. up you know that there's something getting better little by little yeah i mean uh yeah that is a um that's a pretty loaded word for most of us, discipline. Yep. Um, uh, it really just means a kind of steadfast um, commitment to something. Um, and I've really found um, that discipline can also be recognizing when you sort of drop off a little. You know, it's like, uh, people talk about falling off the wagon or, you know, or I wasn't going to eat sugar and I ate sugar and whatever. And they are really hard on themselves. But the, the interesting thing is once you start any kind of behavioral change, um, and, and that's really what we're talking about with both Alexander technique and mindfulness-based stress reduction. It's really, it's really behavioral change. And the behavior that we're changing is, is just including this pause um, you, you, once you start practicing that, you can't not, you know, you can't not see it or you can't. And so even if you like say, oh, I was going to meditate every day and I haven't done it for weeks and, you know, you can pause and you can notice, oh, and I'm aware now that there's a lot of negative self-talk around that. Oh, I'm, 
I'm kind of beating myself up for that. Well, that's a habit I want to change too. So maybe I didn't meditate, but maybe I have a little discipline to pause and notice how mm -hmm. I'm reacting to that. You know, so, um, cause sometimes people think discipline means you do the same thing every yeah. day and when you don't, that means you're not disciplined. Um, that's really beautiful. And it's really <laughs> a very low cost activity because pause, I mean, come on. It's just remembering to <laughs> do just it. That's hard. Second. <laughs> it's not even, there's no cost, low cost. There's it's no free. cost. It's free. Totally it's really free. free. Just take the, the remembering. You're right. Amy, you yeah. speak so eloquently about all this. It's like, oh, thank you. It's kick ass. <laughs> Well, Seriously, I've, I've you spent really, a lot really of time do. thinking in, about it and practicing it and, you know, so, talking to other people about I'm it. I'm so crass about it. You speak so, <laughs> so eloquently about it. I've had some it. pretty darn good teachers over the years, too. I have to give a shout out. But thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I really love. And, um, and own. You, you yeah. live it. You love it. You live it. You have yeah, that discipline. To the best of my ability, um, <laughs> you know. A day at a time, a mo not even a day at a time. That's even too much. <laughs> no, like I said, moment to moment. Well, I'll moment be vulnerable. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I mean, it's not like. I think what um, I want to add, whenever I should feel like adding something, is that it doesn't necessarily. It's not that it doesn't get easier. It does get easier. What gets easier is the ability to give yourself that moment to pause. Um, but yeah, it's not like you don't stop struggling. I don't want to say suffering. That could be a little dramatic. But the struggle's still real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're alive, so there it is. Right. Hence, I think <laughs> that you inevitably get to a place where you want to catalyze and you pay attention to that desire so it doesn't become excessive and, and dominate you to a dangerous level. But you want to catalyze more of that because again there's that possibility that we could more easily share because i think it does inevitably have to come down to a collective shift we know that um for the struggle to become less the norm and and for us to be able to take the steps with more i mean we have the word joy there does need to be a more communal uh, group shift in it like it's not something we can sustain on our own that's ab oh yeah that's true very much so i mean um as much as i'd like that to be true it is <laughs> not at it's all. not it's not at all you know i think some, a lot of us would like it to be and that's just old stuff too but um yeah. uh yeah i, I mean it. ram das says we're all just walking each other home mm. that's all that's we're doing you know, he was and good too. Oh, I love Randas. My other favorite <laughs> is that I work with people to know myself better. You know, yeah. like oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the hard part, well, really. Everybody's either. I mean, somebody once said, I I can't remember who said this, but it's pretty famous. You know, everybody you meet is either a teacher or a mirror. Mm -hmm. Sometimes both. Hmm. Um, and uh, a wise you know, person. Somebody really wise, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's, um, oh, I was thinking something a moment ago. Oh, right. I, I just want to say again, yeah, this collective shift that you're talking about. I 
think we're, you know, we are in the middle of a huge paradigm shift. Feels like that's why we're talking about what we're talking about. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't always look like that to me. Sometimes it looks like the end of everything to me. Some days. I keep writing this for myself. Progress isn't. (laughs) Well, sure, you you know, know, we're not. We (laughs) could talk about that. It wouldn't be as interesting. But my actual real sense of things is that you know as chaotic and horrible as uh, things seem to be right now. Um, yeah, I mean, these conversations are happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's always been thresholds. So whenever you feel that despair, it's like, okay, we're tipping, we're tipping. That's what I want to believe. It's like mm. when we become more and more aware and there's that collective mass, what is that? There's a term for that. Where more of us... Critical mass? Critical yeah. mass, right? Become aware of... It can't be this way for much longer. Then right. something will tip. Uh, my question was, That's what are the physics. challenges like for you? Like knowing that you've been walking this path for a number mm-hmm. of years and actively working on yourself and they're still struggling. Yes. What are the biggest challenges that you're facing if you care to share? You know, I one of them is something that Colin talked about a while back, which is this sense uh, what I what I call destination addiction. Which oh, is, I'm taking um, that. <laughs> it's not mine either. I can't remember where I got that. Um, but the belief that, you know, once you get to a certain point, you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be happy if this or that. Mm-hmm. That's human nature. Um, so that one recently I've been very, very aware of. Um, it's, you know, when you're building a business, as we are, we yeah. all are in our various ways. Um, and I, I haven't been teaching MBSR classes for very long, at least not relative to how long I've been teaching Alexander Technique. And I, I didn't mention this, but I spent about 10 years as a childbirth educator and a birth doula as wow. well. So Thank you for that word. That could be another yeah. topic sometime. I had a doula that <laughs> made a big difference in my first yeah. convert, swear to God. Yeah. More than the midwife. Oh, it's sure. It's truly, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I owe mean, it to her 27 hours later that I could push that baby out. Well, thank you for that work. Oh, so, awesome. so many yeah, no, babies I, coming out. I miss it in a lot of ways. Wow. Um, I don't miss being on call, though. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, so all of these things, you know, uh, that I do I, with the MBSR, I haven't been doing it as long. And, and I've just rebranded my business. And like we mentioned before, I'm, I'm redoing, I'm doing a new website. And all of those activities, it's so easy to start... Um, attaching to them getting Mm -hmm. really attached to this public identity and um uh or even being in the position of being a teacher or facilitator you know people project a lot of power onto you or you know it can be um very easy to it's very sticky stuff um so in my own practice what i'm really what i find challenging is um letting go and this is also my personality uh letting go of the agenda you know relaxing my grip on life a little bit um and letting things unfold like you when you came back from retreat and everything was all chaotic and not ready for the open house and you know you were like well that's how it's going right now i guess you know like i'd like to be more like that (laughs) in my life Mm. um you know so one of my big challenges is really maybe it's a faith you know having faith that um, whatever is happening is what's supposed to be happening, you know, and maybe resisting less and accepting more. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of attitudinal shift, I think, um, I'm seeing some pretty miraculous things. Like even this connection with Holy Redeemer Hospital came about in that way where I was just following what felt intuitively the right mm-hmm. thing to do. And one thing led to another. And then oh, I got that's... introduced to this, um, you know, this guy. And he's like, oh, I've been looking for an MBSR teacher. You know? That's oh. one of our, our favorite well, topics, <laughs> which we will cover in depth in another episode, which is coming from the Chinese Taoist oh, tradition okay. of Wu Wei. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's that fine line between doing and not doing because it's not that you're not doing anything and sitting in your yeah. house all day. Well, yeah, wu, when we call, talk about allowing, that's my translation of wu wei. And mm-hmm. I mean, allow, you're speaking about it in this sense of your relationship with yourself and how you wish, you know, it's a should, like one of those self should kind of things, yeah. right? And I, I get it. And it totally isn't fed by us or seemingly other people around you because everybody, or at least in this room, is reflecting back the, uh, and we all probably would reflect it back to each other, just how we're all so great, right? Yeah. And But then there's some reflection that we have with ourselves and that relationship with ourselves, which is obviously the heart of it um, as far as whatever unraveling or healing, if whatever word you choose to use is, is there. But clearly that's not getting reflected back to you at least by... <laughs> a lot of enough people or a good amount of people it sounds like well you know i think um i think like i said it also is just i think it's something everybody struggles with this allowing i think it's even the, if it's reflected back a lot that you know you're doing fine you're great as you are you're okay you know um well I, it's that but you do also need to allow yourself to grow so it's allowing mm-hmm. as you are and growing and simultaneously both, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think it's trusting that the way th- I'm growing or the way my life is unfolding, um, that it can be trusted, that it can be, you know, That's the participated word, yeah. in. And, um, you know, similar to the mindset of, you know, I don't know if I want to be in community with people, you know. Um, so it's about trusting yourself. To some extent, at least. To some extent. I think, you know, when I think about um, taking action, taking mindful action, and then um, not being attached to outcome, which is really kind of what we're saying, mm-hmm. um, there, there's a lot of, you know, anxiety around that um, because it is very radical. It's really, I mean, it's complete. This is a great example of when I was saying much earlier that we get reinforced by advertising and by other things. Um about this kind of doing mentality that like we're really taught that you know pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and if you do the right things you will be rewarded and you will get what you want and it's up to you and you know Mm -hmm. there's all kinds of this talk all the time and that actually doesn't seem to be how nature works at all Mm and I'm you know this late late in life I'm not elderly yet or anything but you know Um, I'll be turning 60 this summer, and it's just now that I'm really, in the last few years, like really seeing this. Oh, that's not at all how things work in nature. (laughs) In nature, things sort of um, predictably, there's a certain law of uh, give and take and return, and um, I don't need to control that. I'm free not to control that at Mm -hmm. all. 
Um, but it's so going against our conditioning and our belief systems that, um, that, you know, when I take some kind of mindful action, say for my business, who knows what result I'm going to get. Um, but it just, it's very, you know, that, that's the challenge is just kind of trusting, okay, well, whatever happens, yeah, it's okay that it's like this. Yeah. And when, when it happens that the other part of the cycle shows up because nature is not, it's only, it's never up and up and up and up and up and up, right? There, we see the cycles in nature. Right. We see the, the waves crashing and we, and we don't resist that because it is what it is. But then when yep. you take a mindful action in business and it looks like an apparent failure measured by the typical measurements of success, then it's so much easier to beat yourself up. And then next time you say, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'll be a little less risky because that didn't get me a good result. And that's not the way to continue moving forward. To right. retrieve into the shell is not the way. Right. So you have to, in a way, trust the process. And the process is cyclical and is unpredictable and is rollercoasty. And that's how nature works. Mm. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's just this kind of, um, and that's where the joy comes in. Because, um, you know, it's possible, you know. The joy comes in in the trusting. Yeah, in, in just kind of allowing the unfolding is mm -hmm. like. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I think that I used to think joy was something you had to make or manufacture or something. But it mm -hmm. actually, speaking of nature, is our nature. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, a, there is a level of contentment and joy within each of us just being alive. Yeah. That comes back to the breath. I love that you're saying that because it reminds me that if you just breathe it, breathe that in and out, it's there for for you to find versus I need to achieve it as external happiness or external something. It's that joy, that state is our natural state is just so muffled up by so many other worries. Yeah, yeah, right. lots of and baggage. Lot, you know, yeah, this whole puritanical idea of earning. You mm -hmm. have to earn your joy mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah. You know, not true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy just, to say, not true. I was just having a conversation <laughs> with another friend. We had a, a session with breathwork and, and sauna and, and ice baths just before you arrived. And uh, she was saying that she went to... Uh, a breathwork training in, in North Carolina and she brought all these ideas of what she wanted to work and let go and release and all her demons and darkness and once she was deep into the breathwork practices all she could see in the back of her eyelids was light and she kept resisting the light and she's like no that's not what I'm here for I came here to let go of my demons and I kept here to fight my darkness <laughs> and I kept here to let go I don't want any light and then she's like wait what if it's just light and that's what I'm here to embrace and receive and and allow and it was such a mind-blowing moment for her because because really we we are more light and more joy than we know or we remember yeah or we think absolutely so let's yeah yeah and so you know all of these ways of working with ourselves are about figuring out what's like blocking that light mm-hmm you know, whether, whether somebody put it there in us or we've been developing it through our own misunderstandings over time, you know, um, we, it's hard, to, we, they just become so familiar and we don't recognize what we're doing until, you know, mm -hmm. we stop, slow down and 
we think we want to face our demons, but really, <laughs> we just need to live in our light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We often don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if it happens to you sometimes, but I am a pretty joyful person. And I have my bad days, but usually I'm on the light. And, and I felt before, and right now I'm like, fuck it. Yeah. If you don't like it, whatever. But I used to feel shamed or why, how do I get to feel this way if, if most people around me are choosing mm. something else and, and feel like not okay to be so happy, not okay to, to, to you know, um, show it. So I think as more of us wake up to the potential of choosing joy and choosing joy and health, and then maybe we can reflect to each other that it's okay. That doesn't well, mean that I'm unaware of the suffering yeah. and, and I suffer sometimes too, but wear it as a, as a flag, you know, like our joy that it's contagious. Well, that, and you know, that's why this is called both and, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, well done, Amy. <laughs> it just was reminding me of one time on retreat, I was like outside looking at, I don't know, was it a sunset or something was really beautiful in nature. And then I went and I had like my little 10, 15 minute interview with the teacher. And I was like, I'm so confused. I was just outside just feeling really the wonder and joy of being part of this beautiful place. And then suddenly I feel so guilty because there's so, I was aware of how many people are suffering mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Like true suffering, not just our own oh, internal yeah, stuff, yeah. but like people being tortured and you know, whatever, all the, the awful planet, stuff that we yeah. do to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's, they were just like, well, you know, you, you can hold both at the same time. Yeah. You can hold compassion and care, you know, and I think, you know, we worry that, you know, if I seem like a really happy person, maybe people are going to think I don't care, mm -hmm. you know, and so then we're caught in what other people think, you know, mm. so there's that, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but joy is contagious. There's so I'm glad you're there. a joy person, a joyful person, because then that spreads yeah. and it makes my world more joyful. Yeah. Well, people can it? see it. People can feel it. I mean, when, when, mm -hmm. I, when I met you, I could feel it. I mean, you, you bring that with you. So if you bring the cloud, right, the dark, sometimes I walk with a dark cloud above me some days and I feel, I know it's there and I know it just, I want to get rid of it. And I, if I fight it, it doesn't go away. So I just let it be and the next day it's not there. Or and, even later you, that day. You bring it. What? Or even later that day. Or even later yeah. that day. So you mm -hmm. bring whatever your choice, it's like whatever you decide to wear with you and others can feel it. That's why it's good spreading it. Amy, what did you call the the psyche or our thought patterns earlier? The fun house. What did you call it? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> like a carnival fun house. Carnival fun house. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Koru is a carnival fun house in a different kind of way, which I begrudgingly need to wrap us up. Mm. Um, and I am. It is begrudging because <laughs> it's so damn fun. We do this only once a week right now, and it's such a Damn good time. I'm really glad you're doing this, and so many other people are going to be glad too. And I only have to wrap it up because I need to go back into the ice. She mm. came from the ice. I need to go back into the ice. And will you get in shortly. the ice with us one day? I will one day. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. The ice is nice. <laughs> I wanted to give that a try. Yeah. It feels really Well, it, it is both. The group it's activities. Like, it's sauna it's and sauna, then ice, very hot sauna and, and very cold ice bath. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I want to experience that. I mean, I have done it with a shower, but not an actual mm -hmm. ice bath. You're going to love it. That's, where it is. That's the best place to start, of course. 
And the breathing is the key tool that you used in mm -hmm. order to go through it. Tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, yeah, tolerate it to start with. Yep. To, yeah, just to ease your way in. Right? That's right. <laughs> so if you want to share one more thing with mm. everybody that we want to invite to your um, mindfulness-based stress reduction course at Coro coming soon, and just in general to to say anything that you want to leave us with? Well, first, just to remind people if this is, I don't know if this is going to be out there in time, but May 18th, there's this free hour long um, info session. If you want to know more about the class, there's a little, a little, we'll do a couple sample movement things and a sample meditation and answer all your questions. But, um, you know, if there's any, anything I could really say about this class is that um, getting Getting yourself to sign up for it is such an act of self-love. If there's a, if there's just any little inkling inside that it sounds like maybe something you've been wanting to do, that it might be right for you, you know, I would just encourage you to honor that. That step right there is already going to be life-changing. Even if the content of the course or the experience of the course turns out different than you expect, just making that choice for yourself um, raises the vibe for everybody. Like you're helping yourself, you're helping everybody else. It's like putting the oxygen mask on first on the airplane, that classic thing. Hmm. This is, you know, we, we, it's okay. In fact, it's essential that we help ourselves. So if this sounds like something that would help you, really don't hesitate and um and call koru and find out what else is going on mm. here yeah too. that was another <laughs> beautiful, beautifully said like everything um you've said share with us today and where can people find more about you um so my business oh we never got to this my business is called way opens wellness i was going to end with that <laughs> <laughs> okay so sure. we are yeah way opens is a is a quaker phrase actually um when my husband and i had children we decided uh to become quakers and so for the last 20 years or so that's one of my spiritual paths that i've been walking and it basically is what we were talking about with allowing which is just trusting that when something is right, um, way will open for it to happen. And um, there's only so much effort you need to make. The rest of it will take care of itself. So it kind of reflects my Quakerism, my Alexander work, and everything else. And so wayopenswellness.com um, is my website, currently under reconstruction. But <laughs> Thank <laughs> you can you, still Seth. find me there. Yes, my good friend Seth Bush. I a Doylestown that. guy, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Beautiful. Shut Are up. you on social media at all? I am, yes. I'm on Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram now. Great. Ooh. So we'll put so, all those handles yep. on the notes for this episode. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say something else before we thank Amy? No, just that it's again. I wish we could keep going for now. We'll uh, do it again sometime. We'll talk about Qigong yeah. sometime, too, because yeah. I teach yeah. Qigong in Langhorn. Beautiful. Yes, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Mostly just thank you. It's you're so eloquent and so oh, delightful. Thank you for <laughs> having you me. So this much. has just been so enjoyable. Um, <laughs> yep, here I we love talking too. about my work. Thank you for thank the opportunity. You. Thank you for bringing your joy, your light, and all your beautiful thinking and feeling. I feel like we've had a, a, a true feeling, thinking, sensing, and doing moment which are rare with a lot of <laughs> pausing and breathing. So we, we were 
Not as rare it. as they used to be. <laughs> Less rare in the future. Yeah. It, it could be like this more often. Yeah. Yay. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for what you guys do. Mm. Thank, thank you. you. Mm. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Okay. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Our first ever episode of Both End. If you like what you hear, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and even people you don't like, just <coughs> to share the joy. Subscribe to the show and or give us a review. Thank S you. Especially the people you don't like and tell them to come try MBSR. It'll make you make them more likable. You'll end up liking them as a result of their doing the eight week MBSR program. Um, okay, soon enough, more sponsors. Thank you for listening. Thank you.